Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonsoir, Pete. Bonsoir, Matt. Bonsoir, everybody. Here today to talk about Star Trek Picard, the series, having finished up here after three seasons. Pete, we had a similar end-of-season discussion just yesterday on our Mandalorian podcast, wrapping up its third but not final season. Uh, and as one or perhaps two star shows set, looking ahead to the uh, June return of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and we were talking about its season two trailer uh, earlier this weekend as well. Meanwhile, Matt, up in the great north Star Trek Discovery has uh, resumed shooting for its fifth and now final season. So uh, gathering everybody back so they can put a bow on the show that relaunched Star Trek on television. Uh, we also have with the strike, the writer's strike looming. Indeed, Pete, as we record this, uh, potentially about 36 hours until pencils down. Uh, I guess I don't know what to expect for Star Trek Legacy in the near term. I do know that Terry Madalus had some cryptic tweets uh, about how the last the last week was fun, but that week is behind us or something like that that people read into that he, he's standing down from his shouting, uh, shouting from the mountaintops of Star Trek Legacy. So I don't know what to think in regards to that property. We've had listeners uh, write in, you know, is it already developed and and ready to go i'm with you we don't know we've been told we won't know anytime soon and that we wouldn't see it anytime soon and all these complicating factors uh madalus's tweet if you love something let it go uh we'll we'll find out it's uh nearly strange new worlds time matt after that it'll be lower decks after that i believe we get a little prodigy and then we'll go into discovery uh we'll just have to see everybody wants it uh alex kurtzman was quoted uh in the last week hey we've heard that they hear you yada yada it's a question of whether they can make the numbers and the schedule work. I will, Pete, proffer one theory when it comes to Star Trek Legacy, particularly since everybody in Hollywood has had their eye towards this potential of a writer's strike, let alone the Teamsters have, Teamsters have said that they don't cross picket lines, and everybody else, the Directors Guild, the, the Actors Guild, they have negotiations later in the summer. Uh, if I was Paramount+, Plus. Here's what I would have done. Let's not forget that filming on this final episode of Picard was concluded March 8th, 2022. Perhaps there was some pickup shots after that, but that's like 13 months ago. Here what I, here's what I would do. Hey, Terry Madalus, here is a modest budget, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Get together a writer's room, kick ideas around for 10 weeks, and then you're going to stop. But bring in a production designer week five to maybe start some sketches and share some thoughts maybe week seven bring in a costume person they could do some pencil sketches bring in some cloth swatches and things like that 
you know, so again, just a theory here that maybe if only to strike proof, you know, uh, against a possible work stoppage here, maybe work on Star Trek Legacy, at least in a story sense, is farther along than we might think so that when it is, whether it's, you know, Tuesday morning successful contract or whenever it might be that the, the strike clouds are behind us, maybe that's a time to say, we're ready to turnkey this thing, start casting, start building, etc. When you consider, too, how far they were into filming season three before they had to get out ahead of the leak of the entire next generation returning is it possible matt they've they've done some stuff already uh not saying that they have but you know when you look back at this season and you look at oh look all interior uh sets and design no wonder they were circling the wagons so that this stuff could remain secret for as long as possible um it is a way to go well pete from that frontward forward look to star trek's future we'll now uh convene properly here to discuss the third season of picard the 30 episodes that was uh, the star trek Picard series uh, where would you like to begin as we reflect on uh, on three very different seasons? I look back at the whole of this series here and this return to a character we never, ever thought we'd get back. It was perceived that Sir Patrick Stewart had moved on. I think the great irony now, you know, the past couple of days, he's released the the title and the cover of his memoir due out in October, uh, making it so. And, um, you know, just what this character, what this job has meant to him. Now, granted, there's some nostalgia now that they had the big finale and everybody got together, but, you know, something he was super unsure of early on and then you know how long would it last and now what it is turned into um and that everybody comes to recognize this when you get involved with star trek you know we've got sinequa martin green and company filming their finale now something that 35 years from now they will still be associated with I think that your starting point is a wonderful one. And anybody who's a longtime listener to the Picard podcast knows that it's been rare for me to love these episodes. There, there are very few that approach the love status there. Um, but you're right that we got 30 more episodes with Jean-Luc Picard, 30 more than we ever would have thought back in 1994 at the conclusion of the next generation or you know, for my for my viewer tastes, you know, the movies never met the high of the series. Uh, and then obviously the the surprising end, Nemesis not being great. They find out that, that, you know, that's it, kaput and so forth. So to get more has been a wonderful thing. Uh, I I continue to I continue to think of the third season most fondly, I think because Pete I don't know. One of these days, we will have to figure out some sort of grand, fantastic geek 
uh, formula for for how a nostalgic property gets addressed moving forward. But the return of these characters obviously was the right way to go. I have to wonder if in future rewatches, will we look at seasons one and two as like, hey, it's great that you brought Brent Spiner back in season two as one of the Soong ancestors. But, you know, I like Data best of all and, and things of that sort. But we did have data early on. And, you know, let's for a moment acknowledge Sir Patrick as amongst the most serious actors to ever do Star Trek and, you know, what he represents and what he went on to do in this reputation, that he would return to something that you know, all right, might be looked at as as being a little beneath him, albeit that Star Trek has, you know, always trafficked in this Shakespearean uh, idea and concept, um, something that I'm sure helped to lure him initially, but then the you know, back and forth with Gene Roddenberry, whether he would be the guy and the whole thing about the wig and all that. But to have, with the passage of time and diminished things, offers, okay, of what he could do, that the timing was right to return to this character to tell his story, not their story, this serious drama you know set in the twilight of uh, a beloved character's life and to tell the types of stories that they did and then you know for the third season to have this earned reunion of everybody when you had sprinkled in some of those other performers uh i mean granted what went on with LeVar Burton and just the railroading of the possibility that he would host Jeopardy was uh, wound up being for Star Trek. And I think ultimately for him, a good thing. But, you know, there's a universe where he rightly got that job and and did not get, uh, you know, screwed over by uh, a producer close to the show who then wound up becoming one of the hosts and then had to back off. Um, you know, it might have been harder for them to do this. He might have had a more diminished role. Um, but, you know, I, I've been re-watching bits and pieces throughout the series. I, I just think of my anticipation when this uh series premiered three years ago and then you know we're podcasting it as we descend into a, a pandemic and and just the absolute comfort and joy i derived from it and enjoyed talking about it i think the the second season is the most mixed bag it it's hard enough to agree and see the third season as you know, the high point, um, I don't want to be contrarian, um, you know, but I, I, I feel at times, particularly in the middle of this season, it got a little oversold. I, I think we're in agreement as well. They absolutely stuck the landing. Um, 
I think the series did what it needed to. It's always going to have a soft spot in my heart to see these characters return. And all right, so Madalus's mission at the end, right? Put all the the characters, the toys back on the shelf the way they were instead of the Enterprise D, you know, saucer being stuck on Viridian 3 and Data being dead and everybody split. We have some quibbles with the way they, they did this third season, particularly casting a 34-year-old man as a, I don't know, 21-year-old, 22-year-old, whatever strange math we're supposed to believe with the secret son that suddenly showed up in uh, a poster uh, two weeks before we saw the first episode. I, I, I do kind of marvel at the the way the show evolved across three seasons um and i have to wonder uh, you know i'm certainly i'm choosing my words carefully here any actor of course is going to want to put themselves at the center i think that's that's what's natural and you know obviously the 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 well-told story here about how they have an idea for a star trek short trek and you know go to woo patrick stewart who says ahead of time i'm gonna say no but if you want to have lunch at you know the Beverly Hilton or whatever it was, we could do that. I could hear what you have to say, but just know we're walking out of there with a no. Um, and they present him things, and and it sparks enough of an interest. You know, of course, you need Patrick. Stewart Can there on be board. a dog, Alex? Indeed, I want like, there to be a dog. I I don't want to project that I think Patrick Stewart late in life is the the depressed person that Picard is at the beginning of the first season. Um, I, Pete, I won't pretend to know, uh, what it's like to be, uh, you know, in one's later years and how that might impact your thinking on a daily basis, whatever it might be. But I just think of that first, that first season, there's such a melancholy to it. It's also, I think at the time of its creation, trying to put together this brand new bunch of characters. I mean, indeed it does do that, but I, I, I suspect that as they were making the first season, they're like, Oh man, can't wait for characters to love Soji. Guess what? If we do some sort of spin-off after Picard, is it going to be Captain Soji? This is great. Is it going to or is it she going to be the is she going to be the one that, you know, that gets the spin-off that kind of that You mean that kind Dodge? Of Remember Dodge? Uh, that too, that too. Okay, um, announced as that character and obviously the the conceit. I mean, listen, that it's a it's a great pilot. The the first episode is a really compelling pilot and and grabs you in terms of, all right, hey, here you are back with this character and the characters are introduced. And, and like I said, the introduction of Dodge and the trauma that she goes through and to seek out Picard, you know, that's where I'm a little bit blunted at the end of the show that, yes, next generation reunion, but like, where's Soji? And... Gerardi, Borg Queen, and my man Elnor. You know, yes, Michelle Hurts, Rafi, underscored throughout these three seasons, you know, just the wonderful job that she did, the ringer that that character's been through. I mean, goodness, whether or not Star Trek Legacy, like, bring this character back at some point. Um, absolutely earned. Um, but yeah, like 
you set it up one way. I mean, does it smack Matt that they like changed course? Like, uh, looking at the numbers, I don't know that people are tuning in each week for, you know, Allison Pills character. All right, what works? Breaks is, is always up for something. Can can we lure uh, Lavar back? Can can we get Dorn in here again? Like, would, I have to wonder, was that the approach? Did they change course, or was this always the grand design? Well, I I would argue that this this thirty episode arc that this was not the design. I look at the first season. Okay, showrunner Michael Michael Chabon again, experienced in TV of super successful novelist sometimes on the list of having written the great you know the great american novel a lot of debate about that or not you know but michael chabone wrote or co-wrote had a hand in the scripts of eight of the ten episodes of the first season uh akiva goldsman directs two has a writing credit on uh three or four episodes okay come season two michael chabone i mean still still has a uh, producer credit but apparently gone i mean i started to follow him on instagram in the as the first season was coming out because he would do all these q a's and i think i got a couple answered and it was really really great since then he just kind of posts pictures of his life and here he is in maine and here he is with his daughter's graduation here he is with his wife they've pitched other non-star trek shows worked on it gotten the no you know things like that so again kind of one creative set of leadership for season one season two Madalus having a role, kind of a Madalus Akiva Goldsman co-production here. Also, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that that's shot, you know, season two was meant to be shot in a pre-COVID world. It's meant to be shot December, uh, pardon me, July 2020. Gets pushed back to December 2020. Finally, January 21, which I think, Pete, that's where, as you were saying, numbers are being looked at, whether it's streaming numbers, whether it's just kind of informal hey, we've done a producer screening, we've done a studio screening, whatever it is, what do we like, what do we don't? And I, I would suspect, with the greatest respect to Patrick Stewart, that maybe some discussions were had like, hey, people aren't totally digging the whole like, yeah, at the end of your life, you're just old and alone kind of stuff. What can we do to season two to kind of, you know, get things a bit more zippy? Um, I enjoyed, for the most part, the whole time travel uh mirror universe all that stuff like that those are fun fun trappings there the borg aspect and so forth i however i sort of as much as i enjoyed it pete what are some of the greatest hits for star trek in general um mirror universe time travel borg stuff so i Don't think leave out q man the the return here of john delancey I would argue a little underutilized, and that's where I'm super glad, uh, particularly with the conceit of the character, that they could return to that in the credit scene at the end of the series and hope for that to continue. Um, But, I mean, what is this show when you look back at it? It is a greatest hits of the character to get as much of Spiner as you did throughout three seasons. I mean, goodness, Matt, remember the the first preview and the freaking out about, you know, the appearance of an actor in his 70s playing an ageless robot in what wound up being, uh, you know, uh, dreams of the titular character. I mean, just the the silliness with that. Um, 
but yeah, there's a lot of things I like about that second season. I just don't think it quite all coalesced. Um, and and some of the, you know, yes, you got the backstory of the the character as a child and the trauma that he went through there that made him the man he would become the through line as we finished the series went to the stars to find the family he never had all of that the through line because obviously the identity and what he had been through with the borg in all three seasons you know you you rewatch the beginning of the third season the number of time the borg and lacutus get mentioned it's hard not to see they were hiding it in plain sight for the end for the for the last two episodes we you know took our shots at oh hey we're gonna find out what jack is in the next episode stuff that kind of happens you know six seven eight uh okay you know that's that's the suspense of a of a week-to-week show um the difference as opposed to streaming it all at once uh but i i think both in the immediate and in the long term we're going to look at this having been a success uh i think it's a little unfair for people to say like oh season three that's how you do these and not the other two seasons like you have to let things be their own instead of just the super nostalgia driven hey all your heroes are back and your your ship that you thought was destroyed is back sprinkle it in be subtle allow acknowledge the passage of time and understand too that not all these performers want to come back just to show up for two seconds and then you know be sidelined i certainly agree that the nostalgia needs to be earned and i think that you know if i don't know if paramount plus announces 10 years from now that good news deep fake has reached a point uh, uh has just reached this fantastic point and uh we've reached deals with uh either existing actors or the estates of uh the classic trek crew and we're doing season four of classic trek with deep fake and this and that the other i think people people theoretically would be excited then you'd be like oh man they're just doing like 60s versions of episodes like it's not that something has been lost if you just do a direct um direct copy or direct nostalgia um i don't know it would be interesting to go behind the scenes and say you know what were some of those discussions and pete we're probably never going to hear what what they were in terms of pros and cons and other ideas and so forth when did patrick stewart put his foot down as a producer when did he not and so forth um i don't know i just i feel like there there's a certain dourness to the first season however i also really like the fact that it picks up with this kind of very um, nitty gritty, you, you know, for as much as there's been the discussion of like, you know, a certain number of the fans like, oh, the the JJ films don't exist and Kelvin is different than Prime because it's a legal designation and all of this kind of nonsense. The notion that the way Star Trek 09 exits the Prime timeline with the situation 
uh, with the Romulans and so forth that we kind of pick up after that. I kind of appreciate it um, because for me, all Star Trek is Star Trek, uh, including the prime timeline stuff in Star Trek 09. So again, it's kind of like the, I enjoy the construction of it, but then I look at these, I look at the episode list for season one, and it's like well, my favorite is Stardust City Rag because they go do an away mission dress up adventure, and that's kind of that's what I like. Not you know, oh, I guess I'm old and no one loves me and things of that <laughs> sort, you know. Uh, yeah, that episode before that, the fourth one where we meet Elnor for the first time and the radical candor of the uh, the warrior nuns, of which he's the only male, um, you know, initiate. Um, what was Star Trek going to be in the relaunch of TV after Discovery? And then to go to this later time frame again and to return to this character at the same time, acknowledging you know new designs and events that had happened that they filled in and and i think obviously it, it's all under a production umbrella um you know with those folks but I, again had to be different enough to be its own thing and the the borg cube that they had right the artifact and the mystery there and what were the aliens that were the the robots the whole Jacques Vosh conspiracy so you you squared up a Romulan story that you know if your your Borg were the big threat of that next generation era and crew the Romulans had always lurked uh beneath that and they put that together made a lot of sense all right you do the time travel thing for season two and it's a way to bring q in as you mentioned the the mirror aspect uh but then again the the borg and uh the the queen there that ultimately becomes that offshoot rebel borg that are still around that i'm sure at some point we're gonna uh, catch back up with and and re-examine and then this third season that you know largely beloved right from the get-go and and to bring and to feature in in such a way gates mcfadden okay in, in a way that she never got to do that you know i said it before you you look at what she's given in nemesis in particular but in the movies in general it's criminal it's absolutely criminal and you know they have learned the people managing star trek now have learned that all your characters need to be serviced that they all need to have moments uh even despite the criticism that went on with hey marina Surtees, when is she going to get a little bit more than being shown in a hologram for a second uh really tiny is she dh is she not holding the the baby during the Frakes uh, Stewart DH scene in the uh, the one episode where they're saying what happened 20 years ago or whatever it was. To me, I mean, big successes, again, for me, big successes in the third season. I still look back. I think the season two episode, The Stargazer, was 
the best one because it was promising it was promising something that ultimately the second season never delivered on and maybe the third season never delivered on so i don't know if that then you but i re- think again you know this idea that going forward because matt they've they've learned in reconstructing the enterprise d bridge which now they've archived and 3d photoed and lovingly saved now that they've rebuilt it um that okay this uh stage that they've built for this newer generation next next generation uh crew will hold on to this and perhaps take advantage of these uh tax breaks to shoot in the greater los angeles area so that there could be a next 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 generation of star trek uh on that topic pete would you care to guess across three seasons how um about how much the taxpayers of uh, california contributed by way of tax breaks a fair chunk of change i know that much yeah i think it was uh it was something like 50 uh, pardon me 15 one five uh million for the first season 20 for the second season um and it, the third season it seems a bit nebulous particularly given as how they were shot back to back um but y- you know again i'm being a little tongue-in-cheek by saying the taxpayers I-, I do think ultimately i mean a this is what states like california and new york and now new jersey and georgia and others need to do to lure what really is big 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 spending um, and there's all sorts of studies just in the last week. New York State was crunching the numbers and saying, here's why we need to have a greater uh, tax refund uh, program for TV and film stuff. Here's the economic benefit and all of that. Um, fair, fair, too. We don't know the incentives that uh, Toronto offers to them. Uh, so that's motivating as well. It's pr- true. I would suspect Toronto might be cheaper labor. Um, if nothing else, cheaper in your day-to-day kind of stuff. Um, but you're right. There's a reason that there's a reason that one Star Trek show, pardon me, two Star Trek shows are shot in Toronto. There's a reason why they've ramped up from Discovery, and then time away from Discovery, and everything just sits. In, you know, the the sound stages just sit. To all right, move the stuff into the storage sound stage. Now we're bringing out the Enterprise Bridge. Like we're we're going to be in constant production in that that space. Um, it's all it's all about money. I mean, who knows, Pete? Star Trek Legacy could be the first Star Trek show shot at the uh, the um, the the still under construction Netflix studio space being built here in Central New Jersey uh, in the old Fort Monmouth space. I, I, again, it's all possible with these tax credits. So uh, hats off to the taxpayers of California that helped. Really, I mean, you're talking forty or fifty. Maybe 50 is a bit much. We're talking about $40 million um, that this show, Star Trek Picard, got to film in California. Uh, that ain't nothing across 30 episodes of an expensive no. show. No, it, it made so much possible. And you you look at the premise of the show, Picard in his older years, and, you know, not the captain of a ship anymore. Uh, you know, what do his adventures look like? How does that go? And you had to, at some point, return to, uh, you know, the the Starfleet ship aspect. You know, that first uh, season 
in particular with, oh, here's a former Starfleet officer who's on his own, you know, freighter, La Serena, like, all right, that was only going to go so far and work so much. And yes, it wound up being a thing that they used throughout the three seasons and a recurring set and everything like that. But, you know, Star Trek, you gotta be on the Starfleet ship. You're gonna need to do that at some point. Um, and it's a unique aspect to tell this story of a retired character and do that. And then when you get into what they did with the character in terms of his biological body dying and putting him in a positronic golem that at times they acknowledged throughout the two final seasons at times they just kind of we're not going to mention that right now yeah there is part of the interesting thing of this show having been made when it is it you know is it's it's the height of platinum television it's the height of being able to tell longer arcs and so forth um but still it's also star trek that even that that even in that larger arc can kind of retain a week to week aspect in its DNA, if not in its conception, let's say, of a strange new world. So that's where I think there's a certain muddiness that that it always was a three season plan, but it wasn't greenlit for seasons two and three until the success of season one. And Does I that... think too, you never had a right to expect you'd get back the entire next generation it's not as if they don't have things going on and again you know what was going on with lavar burton and can you tell a compelling story for all these characters that went their separate ways and maybe somebody doesn't want to come back and it's a negotiation tactic and and all that um so there were challenges, and I think they largely tackled them. There's some tonal issues throughout all three seasons that I think even the producers, had they had a chance to go back and, and look at, you might have done a different way. Um, but it's, it's the Star Trek that we got, um, and you know we we finish at a super super high it's hard to argue that that's not the highest height for the series and to leave it there if we never see these characters again okay we've we've got that but we know that star trek goes on and on and on and we know that it also moves forward with an eye toward the past and greatly acknowledging that i mean think of what we got in this season to to tell you at the beginning of the season before we had seen it that you would get michelle forbes and walter koenig and uh that you would have the return of a character like admiral shelby and tim russ that you know all right you'd sign up for that i know we had speculated oh we're gonna see uh, Kate Mulgrew, and we're going to see this one, and we're going to see that one. And, you know, Lord knows I threw enough uh, Cisco possibilities out there only because, you know, we always have that possibility with this genre, with this property to be able to do that. And, you know, that book 
still remains unclosed. You're certainly right that this is the end, and this also doesn't need to be the end. I mean, it's simple enough. The human adventure continues. <laughs> Indeed. You know, and particularly as we look ahead to a Strange New World season that's going to cross over um, so improbably with Lower Decks, you know, mm -hmm. Lower Decks A, animated, and B, taking place in a different point in the timeline. But because it is Star Trek, you can time Crystal, you can time Warp, you can holodeck, you can et cetera, et cetera. The ease with which you can say, you know, oh man, Riker was just there trying to make a pizza, and then Q flashed him into Strange New Worlds, or, or, or Q flashed him well into the future, to uh to to starfleet academy taking place in the discovery 32nd century you know all of that is lovingly possible particularly since for whatever quibbles i might have with many of these 30 episodes at the end of the day it's characters we love it's places that we love and do whatever hoops you need to to get to get you know to get the fan service again if it makes sense that's best of all but you know, there, there's a reason why this series finale is almost certainly the best loved episode out of, you know, the vast majority of viewers. It's because they gave us what we were wanting the entire time, even if maybe it needed to be earned across the previous 29 episodes. And where you leave it in the hands of the characters going forward. You know, I'll never forget seeing the trailer for the first season of Picard and then showing you that seven of nine, that Jerry Ryan was going to return and okay. Oh, guess shot type of stuff. And then to become a recurring character in the irregular in the second season and the third season. And now a Starfleet captain in charge of the enterprise G like we want to see more of that. That's where, you know, for the performer, for the character, uh, for the fans to sort this out. All right, when when are we going to see Captain of Nine, Captain Seven, Captain Seven of Nine uh, going forward? That's what people are clamoring to know. And in the best Hollywood tradition, keep them wanting more, right? Uh, but also figuring that out because it means so much to people to see this character now get this opportunity and the stories that can be told, the the conflict of having, if not a current lover, a former lover as your first officer and, and what you can do there. What Jack Crusher's uh, story looks like if indeed Ed Spielers was cast with the notion that, hey, you know, we're going to bring you in and you're going to play this character's uh, secret son. But just know that, hey, you are on the Downton Abbey and now you're forever in the Star Trek. So uh, look forward to playing this character for the next 30 years. Pete, to Twitter, we go for some thoughts uh, about this third season. Uh, the choices were the, the lowest one, Ensign, Enervate, that got 0%. Commander of My Heart got 5.9%. Captain Courageous, 11.8%. Then Admiral Amazing, 82.4%. So lots of enthusiasm there. Uh, some replies. First one, Are You Need to Spin Off? 
at KCLYLE1 uh, on Twitter. Fantastic, of course, beautiful to look at, plenty of nostalgia, although I would have loved to have seen a few more past characters. And a clever story, even if I think the Borg have seen their time in the stars. I'm not a Nemesis hater, but a much better final bow for the TNG crew. Next, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC-139. It was a great season to end a great series. I loved it all, except when Riker told Picard, you've killed us all. Worst moment of the season, and in my opinion, completely out of character for Riker to say that, especially in front of a bridge crew, uh, and regardless of his despair. Um, I see that you replied, Pete, and a little, a little discussion there, just uh, proposing that we're going to pretend that uh, Riker never said it, because... I think Pete, you're tacitly agreeing that it was never it was it never should have been said to begin with. Yeah, found a GIF there of Cisco saying that's very moving, except for one small problem, it never happened. <laughs> yeah, we we need conflict and it drives drama, but to have a character do something that just seems so unlike anything they've ever done. We were talking at that point in the season, you know, oh, is he a changeling is this how they're they're gonna resolve that and instead uh, i said a bad thing and that was yeah it's it's not their high point it it is the low point of the season both for the characters and in terms of the storytelling but that's okay you know it, it is a roller coaster ride and you know by the end we just forget that that ever happened Last tweet, Pete, comes from uh, Ed Hopkins. That's at EdHopkins72. This was the show I wanted seasons one and two to be, and Captain Seven's curtailed command uh, was surely going to be, quote, fun will now commence, close quote, right? <laughs> I love there. that they didn't give it to us. And, you know, not the if, when, right, we return to this. That That's got to be addressed and i'm sure is there's a short list of what those will be right um it's interesting to matt how the setup and everything also insulates the majority of these upper production people to return to this right instead of and we gave the captain seven show to these people over here um but they helped tee this up so don't they deserve the first crack at it? Yeah, they do. To the email inbox we go and Pete, this first email uh, from uh, Christina, who says as follows uh, the subject line from a lifelong fan of Star Trek who was there at the very beginning. Uh, Christina says, and now here at the end, and what a beautiful end for a wonderful crew. I don't have enough words to explain how much Star Trek has meant to me my entire life. From the time I was born, which was in 1963, Trek has been a part of my life. I started watching the second season of the show at four years old and was glued to the TV for that entire hour it was on. Even to this day, the opening notes of music on the series sends absolute shivers down my spine in anticipation of the adventures to come. I would hang a coat hanger on the back of my bedroom door, uh, and I was Kirk on the deck of the Star, uh, Starship Enterprise. Those early years of watching Star Trek faded into occasionally catching a rerun, you know, yet I never lost the thrill of hearing those opening notes of music. Of course, the first movie was disappointing with its grandiose and sometimes boring storyline, but then they completely redeemed themselves with Khan and, yes, even the whales. Then came news that a new Star Trek was coming. Wait. 
with a bald British captain that was somehow <laughs> French and an actual android. And what's this? A former Captain America actor in shopping malls, little known fact. And what? Female security officer and a blind guy flying the ship. It was a bit too overwhelming. This was very far from the OG Trek. But as I had moved to Los Angeles when the series premiered, I was absolutely honored to meet the cast. When I worked at the premiere, I was quickly smitten. The series had both its triumphs and snooze fests, but never got a truly proper send-off after the movies. So here we are, with what I feel is an honorable and truly sentimental, satisfying and a sentimentally satisfying ending. Having had the further honor of working with Sir Patrick in New York City on The Tempest, and being shocked at how well he played an aged individual on stage, I watched him closely this last season. I was saddened to see him slow down, his mellifluous voice a bit more cracked. I truly feel I think he was ready to give up that chair, which Kirk told him not to do. So au revoir, Picard. Farewell, crew of Star Trek Next Generation. You served and saved the universe well many times, and this time was no different. It was beyond thrilling seeing you all pull together one last time. This lifelong, adoring fan is so very sad to see you all go, yet I felt the exact same thrills and chills of joy and anticipation at the opening notes of each episode of this season of Picard, just as I did hearing those notes long ago in another lifetime. May we yet hear those opening notes again for a new Enterprise and crew, but we will never hear them again for Picard and his stellar and faithful friends all together. I thank you, two fantastic fellows, for such a phenomenal podcast and look forward to exploring all of the strange new worlds with you make it so kindest regards that from christina chapman oh wow i mean that's a tremendous email and her story of connection there and having worked with sir patrick i mean matt i know you were lucky enough to see him on stage christmas carol right yes yeah and and I saw him um, at the uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music in a really unique Macbeth um, with a with a, a Russian uh, you know motif to it. And yeah, we've all noticed his his age here, but I think incorporated so well not just into the story but into the performance. Um, and it's something that that comes for us all. You know, we've we viewed this stuff long enough to understand that and also to have the perspective to be so so lucky that they made the decision to come back to this that that everybody came around to it uh you know i joked before about you know his his pet cause pun intended with the the dogs and everything like that and you know while we never get uh you know number one uh fully back and then, you know, tangentially with the the way poor Orla Brady, hey, you're in the two scenes at the beginning of this, uh, you know, third season and then never heard from again. Um, but this this series, this season in particular was a gift. And I, I think we all acknowledge that, but just really, really great perspective out of uh, Christina. Thank you. Pete, next email comes from Stacy, who says, Hi, Matt and Pete. I can't believe we're at the end of the Picard Road. When I found Fantastic Geek, it was because I was looking for someone covering Picard, and now it's done. Good thing I'm enjoying all your other coverage, or I don't know what I'd do. I really enjoyed the season of Picard, though there were, were a few missteps along the way. I refuse to discuss the age discrepancy between Ed Spielers and Jack Crusher. No one will ever <laughs> beat Gabrielle Carteris as a 35-year-old playing a teenager on 90210. <laughs> 
fair. Uh, my disappointment Ian, is in Ian's hearing playing a uh, uh, Kirk's son <laughs> <laughs> to reboot that, maybe. Indeed. Uh, Stacey says, my big disappointment is in some of it uh, just didn't live up to the hype. I expected more of the OG TNG crew earlier in the season. And while I think the Borg story in general is well done, I would have liked to see a different baddie. And Jack felt very one note. Pete, I'll pause her words there and just say, Ed Spielers really knows how to do the, when there's internal conflict going on in his mind, he points to his head. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a tool he used a couple of times. I enjoyed and, the, the performance, though. And a breath of fresh air, uh, inject that youth, but boy, you know, the, the disbelief we had the show. I, I love the reference of uh, Gabrielle Carteris there. Andrea Zucker, who at 35 years old, went back to high school to be a journalist. Uh, back to Stacy's words here. Um, and while I think the, uh, let's see, sorry, for, uh, Jack felt, felt very one. No, no real arc until the very end. Also, I still want to know where Kestra is and why her parents seemed so unconcerned <laughs> about her given they'd already lost one child. His loss, uh, and his loss was uh, an instigator in the Riker-Troy temporary split. And no Laris? No Laris at all? Such a bummer. That said, there was so much to love about this season. Worf and Rafi were a delight to watch together, and I was happy I didn't end up worried about Rafi the whole season as I expected. I loved Amanda Plummer as Vatic. I was talking with my sister about Vatic smoking, and her thought is that she picked it up either from the scientists whose look she assumed, or from someone else after she got away from the lab. Either way, Jamie and I agreed to make her look, uh, agreed it made her look more like a proper villain. Brent Spiner as the data hybrid was amazing to watch. The emotion and gravitas he brought to the character made me teary more than once, and his dark humor made me laugh. Of course, Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine was the absolute best. Ending the season slash series with Captain Seven of Nine got a cheer from me. Despite my arrogance at why Riker went off with Picard, watching them do their thing was a delight. And the best, the absolute best cameo of the season, the Enterprise D. I love that Jordy had been rebuilding it in his garage. Seeing that bridge gave me all the feels. That renaming of the Titan to Enterprise, phew, I felt a little like Picard, overwhelmed. Such a good moment. And Beverly and Jack knowing Jean-Luc would be uncomfortable with the fanfare. I could probably go on more with every scene, every little moment, but no one wants that. So I'll just say, going on this Picard journey with you has been the best. I'm looking forward to your series and thoughts, but also your thoughts on all that's ahead of us uh, in Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, universes. Cheers. Pete, that's from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. It's funny to hear both Stacy um, and Christina, the, the future that you know, there's more. And it was not something growing up with Star Trek that I really ever contemplated with that original cast with the movies. It was just like, all right, they'll probably stop at some point. One of them will be the last movie and that's it. And, you know, the irony that that big crossover film with you know the voyage home and the the whales and then you know it hits video and here comes the next generation and oh look all right yeah there'll be a blind crew member and 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 this and that and it, here we are at their swan song and you know you've you've done this several times now obviously not 
to the extent that you've given the Deep Space Nine people a return and all the Voyager people a return, but they've laid out this path now. You've done this with two generations. You have to imagine it'll continue to happen. And, you know, is that a full on return to films? We still have the super complicated issue of this fourth Kelvin movie that's definitely maybe sometimes possibly going to happen. Last email, Pete, comes from Josefina, who says, Hey, fantastic. I just wanted to say that I was going through withdrawals this past week. It was so uh, uneventful and every day felt like a Monday and Tuesday. I missed the excitement Wednesday through Sunday brought. I started watching Star Trek when I was a little girl with my dad, TNG. Before he passed, we were watching reruns of TNG. Watching the end of his favorite TNG characters on TV was sentimental. I'd like to think he was watching Picard over my shoulder. TNG Season 7, Episode 25, In All Good Things, Picard says to Beverly before kissing her, a lot of things could happen in 25 years. Well, 25 years later, give or take a year, we've had the Picard series. Love and Picard becomes a baby daddy and realizes Jack was the part of him he never knew was missing. Thank you for taking me on this journey these past few weeks. Give me an outlet to talk Trek. I look forward to listening to your episodes during the in-between time we have coming up until uh, June 15th with uh, Strange New Worlds, which subsequently is my birthday. In the meantime, I plan on watching Clone Wars in preparation for the Ahsoka series and catching up on Strange New Worlds. Just know I'll be listening to your past podcast episodes on Strange New Worlds and wishing I could email y'all about the episodes. <laughs> I'll leave you with a line from TNG Season 7, Episode 25, All Good Things Poker Scene. Five-card stud, nothing wild, and the sky's the limit. Semper Fi, Pete, that from Josephina. Well, thank you, Josephina, and a happy early birthday. What a gift you get with Season 2 of uh, Strange New Worlds, and, you know, just thrilled to be able to uh, bring that to everybody and, and talk about it with you. I would even say, Josephina, if you want to do... Because, you know, we're obviously going to do, we'll probably do a Strange New Worlds just general discussion podcast sometime between now and June, I don't know, 5th. And then we'll do a, you know, hey, it's coming, Strange New Worlds returns next week, countdown uh, podcast. You want to you wanna do your rewatch, you want to do one email, got some thoughts, you know, some bullet points on each of the 10 episodes there. That could be, that could be part of our discussion there, Pete, as we kind of, you know, as we, as we uh, refire the engines for the Strange New Worlds podcast. Absolutely. Now, Pete, uh, just as Star Trek Picard ended with Admiral Picard, we now hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 3 and the whole series. I really, really loved this third season, mainly because of the Nostalgia Tour I must say, big, big compliments to the makers. It was quite in a good, well, let's say, equilibrium, apart from Vedek, but also great compliments and admiration for these 70, 80-plussers that they could pull it off. I asked myself the question, would I have loved it when all three seasons were like this last one, with the same cast? I don't think so. It's a kind of crescendo, it's a kind of big bang at the end. Would have been different if this was the thing all the time. As said before, this Fedek and especially her monologues were a bit too much for me. 
And no discredit for Amanda Plummer because she did it, what she had to do very well. I just disliked this Vedic, well, that role she had in that sense, she succeeded. Talking about nostalgia, of course we had Brent Spiner and Jerry Ryan before, and we had before. I found it a pity that we lost Santiago Guerrera. He was a great guy in this uh, in this series, with all his iterations. But yeah, I'm a sucker for clones, though that was one of the things. I also like the skeleton crew that remains and possibly gives us a new series. And there could be some cameos of the older people. That's one other question I actually have. Is it really finished for these people or are they still coming back? If you have such a great ending, shouldn't it be then that and not coming back all the time? But when you see here, for instance, how excited everybody was just to hear the voice of Walter Koenig slash Chekhov slash, in this case, Chekhov's son, everybody liked that. It would also be strange if you see how fit these characters are, I'm not talking about the actors, that they won't show up, or some of them, in the future. Well, they're not sick, they're not dead, they're just around. So in the real Star Trek world, they could be involved, contacted, asked for advice, etc. Okay, that will be all for me, for you, for everybody about Star Trek Picard. But looking forward to some of it come back in some form. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, lots of love there from Fred for the season. I thought it was interesting that though most of us have said season three was the best there he is arguing for the journey of the three seasons not starting at the end point of you know episode one the crew is back together yeah and i agree that you needed to fred's word is great crescendo with that and not knowing that they'd ever be able to do that um that you conceived the the show for the character you know we had joked what was announced and they had actually said it won't be called star trek picard and then what do they want to call it star trek picard and obviously that's the the focus but how integral these characters have been in his life in the career of the performer and to end it the way you do around the card table and you know letting them ad lib for 45 minutes and you know that's where we'll get to return to this when it when it hits video that they've promised a little bit more probably not going to get the uninterrupted 45 minute shoot of you know them all cutting up or whatever um but yeah there's that and uh I, I hear Fred a little bit on, um, you know, the criticisms of uh, Vatic. At the same time, you, you kind of needed the, the, must, the mustache twirling villain. They frequently referenced Khan before we knew the performer and the, obviously the character. I know a lot of us were holding out, you know, oh, they'll, they'll finally do the, the Sila thing will will bring Denise Crosby a way to bring back the entire next generation and and to do that um 
you know, I, I think that could have been a way to go and you still could have told this story, but you know, it, it's again, the one that we got. I have to wonder too, Pete, you know, season two, most of it shot in the warm months. There's a, obviously all of it shot under COVID protocols and, and certainly more serious COVID situation than we've had in the last year. Season two, warm months in Los Angeles, fair amount of outdoor stuff season three most of it shot in the relatively colder months of los angeles a lot of it indoors uh perhaps even exclusively indoors do you think that vatic was maybe a covid villain i.e someone that you could shoot on a standalone set maybe you bang out four episodes in a row of her doing stuff with its own crew and its own you know uh covid pod and all of that sort any thoughts there I mean, with the realities that you were facing at the time when they were writing and then producing this, yeah, how how could it not be? Um, you know, it's it's not quite the wrath of Khan in that Shatner and Ricardo Montalban never shared the same space when they filmed in 1981, um, but it's reminiscent of that and obviously they eventually get those characters in the same space here able to do that uh surely under you know safety protocols through the screen actors guild and everything like that but yeah i think you're entirely on that well pete the star trek picard journey has been a joyful and exciting one and uh as we are close to the end here now with it uh, of course, as always, we have to tip our hats to those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. They have made these uh, these podcasts covering the 30 episodes of Star Trek Picard possible. Yeah, could not possibly do this without the contributions of the people that go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. All sorts of levels to uh, contribute at, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. And uh, as you said before, the listener funded aspect of this enterprise, Matt, uh, cannot be overlooked. So thanks again for helping us with that. Can't contribute this month to get yourself over to Apple Podcasts, where for our now 34 podcast feeds now that the ahsoka uh star wars podcast by fantastic geek feed is live you can leave us a rating in seconds or review in just a little while longer all of which help us spread the word about what we do well pete as noted by by many people who uh reached out in reflection of the third season the star trek voyage does continue how can people be in touch with you to talk about star trek you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,868 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P and the H. Like it today. Pete, have to mention our journey in the stars will be continuing later uh, in just as the calendar is about to turn to the month of May. Go and see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 later this week, and we'll be podcasting that uh, the Monday after it comes out on Marvel Monday. So just like that, Pete, 
dropping off the Enterprise D, getting ready for uh, a voyage to stars with Star Lord, etc. So looking forward another to another final mission. Another final mission that might be open ended enough to continue with yes. some other missions for some people, but time will tell on that. Uh, with all of this star reflection, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final Picard series word. You made it so.